Metalography, the mother of all metalography podcasts. This episode marks the second in a new series titled Metalography for Dummies. In this three-part series, we will have three dummies, Leah, Houston, and Molly, asking some experts questions on metalography. This episode will feature Dr. Daniel Dennis, and the theme for this session is how is metalography useful in the world? Before we get started, here's a little bit about Dr. Dennis. Dr. Daniel Dennis is a licensed uh, metallurgical professional engineer in the state of California. He has over 40 years of experience working in various raw material, forging, aerospace, and aircraft related industries, and as a consultant. Dr. Dennis has accumulated experience with a wide variety of materials, manufacturing processes, and testing methods through his association with the design, testing, failure analysis, and ma manufacturing methods uh, of many programs. He is a member of multiple professional organizations where he has served on the board of trustees and several national committees. He is currently the president of the Failure Analysis Society and past president of the International Metallographic Society. Another big thank you to everyone for being able to join the podcast today. Um, with all of that being said, the floor is now again open for questions. I can go first. Um, this question might be a little blunt, but why should we care about metallography? In failure analysis, Molly, metallography in failure analysis? Yes. Um, driving that to the thing here. The interesting thing is that most people think metals are homogeneous and isotropic. They think they're like butter. They're not. They're more like a raisin bread or a cinnamon roll. They have characteristics that are different in all, in all directions, the longitudinal or transverse. So our mechanical properties are different in different directions. And metallography can show us what that looks like. What does the microstructure look like in a certain direction, which then tells me what the mechanical properties should be. Because when I look for, when I look for a material, it starts with the chem chemical composition, within the microstructure, and that tells me what mechanical properties I can expect and its possible resistance to different failure modes. So that's why metallography is extremely important for failure analysis because depending on what the microstructure looks like, I can either, it's either going to be good or terrible in certain conditions. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I guess going off of that, when you're looking at a failure, either in your experience or just out in the world, what, in your opinion, is like the single biggest or most significant metallography failure? Wow, that, well, that's a good question. Um, usually, the most significant one you'll see is that it wasn't heat treated correctly. And heat treating alters the microstructure and provides a different mechanical properties and potentially different types, a different look to the microstructure. Um, that would be probably the most de de detrimental thing okay. that I've seen done to microstructures. Okay. And heat treating occurs in many, many, many things that we use. All alloy systems, all, a lot of product forms, Heat treating is a big part of the uh, manufacturing of components. Okay. 
And then if so, if it's not heat treated correctly, then it, it breaks, I guess, is it right? I, is that kind of just... If it's not heat treated correctly, it won't have... You You design something that needs to have a strength of 100,000. And if it's not heat treated correctly, it could have 50. Mm. Well, obviously, you put it into a situation where it's supposed to have 100 and it only has 50, it's going to break. Um, so, so it could be mechanical properties. It could also be that we have certain heat treated conditions that are better for stress corrosion cracking. I'm, I'm dealing right that right now with the failure is that they didn't heat treat it correctly. And they told me what they did. They went, Ooh, that's bad. And they go, why, why is it bad? I go, that condition is very susceptible to stress corrosion cracking. We know that the condition you were supposed to put in is very resistant to stress corrosion cracking. So sometimes it's strength. Sometimes it's uh, capability to sustain itself in a certain type of failure mode is altered by the heat treat condition. Okay, that makes sense. And then I guess as far as then if those failures can occur, what can be some of, you know, like for people, if those something breaks under them, like can it really have life-threatening consequences? You saw the bridge that failed, the one that Biden went over there to take a look at, That that's gonna be an interesting conversation to see why that failed. Um, you saw the, if you saw the pictures, there were trucks and cars on that bridge. So, and it's very similar to if you look at I-35 that happened about in Minnesota that happened a few years ago, you know, there can be severe loss of life if, if a failure occurs, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's been going on since, the, you know, forever that when you get a failure, the, 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 the example that we talked about that was um, Jonathan gave to me about the uh, railroad that um, the shaft broke in um, 1842. I mean, what, 115 people lost their lives. It, it's, it, these things a lot of times can have severe ramifications to casualties. Could you um, tell us a little bit about other kinds of failures? I know we talked about um, heat treating, but I don't really know um, about any other kinds. Um, heat treating, and you know what heat treating is? I, I guess, no. <laughs> um, heat treating is, um, imagine you bake a cake. You take all the ingredients, eggs, sugar, flour, whatever, chocolate chips, whatever you want to put in there, you mix them up. That's the chemical composition, correct? And then you put it in your oven and you put it in there at 325 for 40 minutes, whatever it is. You take it out. That's the heat treating part. You thermally alter the composition that you put in there. So, you know, going back to the example I had before, say I, I did that same thing. I took the cake, I mixed it all together, and then I put it in the oven at 700 for two hours. And of course it comes out on fire and you're not going to want to eat that cake, right? Because it was not heat treated correctly. This is what baking and heat treating, there's a lot of, I use a lot of baking scenarios when I talk to people about heat treating because it's very much the same thing. We alter the base material through a thermal process. So that's heat treating. I should have done that when I, when my, and Molly's question. So Leah, what was your question? What other things can occur? Yeah, what are some other um, types of failures, I guess? Um, other types of sources of failures. I mean, the, there's a lot of varieties of failures, corrosion failures and stress corrosion cracking falls under the corrosion umbrella. There's fatigue failures, which we just talked about with the shaft on the uh, railroad um, locomotive. Uh, there are overload failures, which basically just means you, um, um, 
you get on that seesaw. Remember when you got on that seesaw when you were kids, you made your own seesaw and you put 22 kids on one side and it snapped in half. That's a, or you, you climbed a little too far out on that branch and it snapped on you. That's basically an overload failure. You just put too much weight on the capability of the material you were sitting on. That's overload. And these do occur a lot of times due to the example I gave before is that perhaps the material was not heat treated correctly. It wasn't really overloaded in service. It just, the material wasn't ready for the load it was going to see. Um, corrosion, fatigue, overload failures, where? Where is a failure mechanism? Which is an interesting one because everything wears. So usually with wear, it's, it's uh, you monitor. We know how fast things wear. And it's not if it's going to wear, is it did it last how long it was supposed to, supposed to last. So that one's a little bit different because we know it's going to happen, but we do things to give it an expected life. And when it doesn't reach the expected life, then they call it a failure. Elevated temperature failures are a lot the same way. Your jet engines, your pressure vessel, your um, um, power generation units, land-based turbines or, or, or aero, aero turbines on aircraft, they all are at elevated temperature and they have expected lives just because of their at, at temperature and the material is is slowly or rapidly, depending on what the temperature is, coming to its end of life. And so it's a failure mechanism when it doesn't last as long as it's supposed to. So that's probably the major groups. Not that's really to, helpful, thank you. Not to interject, is, uh, would another uh, failure type be like the wrong material being used for an application? Um, well, that's a, that would be, that's another fit. I gave you the overarching groups of types of failures, raw, incorrect raw material, incorrect heat treating. These are all things that drive underneath that umbrella, right? Yeah, if you use the wrong material, if I baked my cake and I didn't use the right sugar or the right flour and it, and it, it didn't rise, that's the wrong chemical composition. So, but how it fits into the other grouping, those are large categories I gave you. You're into a very specific thing. And, and that still happens, just so we're clear. A lot of people go, oh, Dan, in the world of today, nobody messes up material. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> it still happens out there. Um, with, even with all the checks and balances, people, I, they, they get the wrong material and, and they use it. And then they sit there and I go, they tell me, well, it failed. And I said, okay, tell me what it's supposed to be. Because in failure analysis, it's always what it's supposed to be to what it is. You know, why is this thing different from the others? That's failure analysis in a nutshell. And then I say, well, here's the chemical composition. It tells me it's this alloy. And they go, oh, no, no, it's supposed to be that. I go, well, it's not. Test analysis, don't lie. I don't know where you got your information, but that's not what it is. So let's start there. Let's start with the material being incorrect. It, it still happens and it's amazing, but it still does. 40 years in this business, I'm really surprised at that one, but it happens. And uh, interject here quick. Um, is there a way to do live testing on these materials? Like using your analogy, I can look at the bread we're baking all the time. I'm sure, um, but are we able to do live testing on materials that are stressed before failures happen? 
You know, one of the interesting things, I, I teach a lot of failure analysis classes, and one of the things I tell them is after the failure, go grab the health monitoring information. Most components these days that are in any kind of um, um, life-threatening or, or poten potentially damaging to human beings, they will have a health monitoring device. They will be monitoring temperature. They will be monitoring pressure. They'll be monitoring speeds. These, you know, that technology has grown leaps and bounds in the last 20 years. And, and for those of us that do failure analysis, it's a wonderful story to tell me what happened during the life of the part. And I can see whether the temperature, the, 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 the cake was in the furnace at too high of a temperature or was the cake in there too long. Um, so health monitoring devices, yes. And unfortunately, a lot of times health monitoring devices live in the operational world, not in the failure analysis world. And I've worked with companies and I say, you must have a health monitoring device. Oh yeah, well, have you spoken to them? No, that's in operations. So it's a communication, it's a communication, it's a failure to communicate for those of us old enough to remember Cool Hand Luke. Um, but so there are health monitoring devices that are wonderful for failure analysis. It just depends. I'm working, uh, I've worked on a failure where there was a, it's, it's a pump and most pumps will monitor their bearings for vibration and they'll monitor their oil for temperature. But depending on the age of the pump, if it's 20 years old, maybe, maybe not. If it's brand new, possibly. And it all depends on whether the company wanted to pay for that monitoring device as well. So there's always a lot of factors that go on with those health monitoring devices. Gotcha, thank you. So with the um, kind of like the health screening that you were talking about there, what, what kinds of things are monitored? You mentioned temperature, but are there other things that are monitored that um, can help a failure analysis case? Um, bearing vibration, if you, um, vibration, when a bearing, we all know what a bearing is, your roller skate bearing, your bicycle bearings. So you guys have roller skates. Everybody nod, please tell me you had roller skates. Okay. So I don't want to be the only one in the room. I just don't want to be the only one in the room. Roller skate bearings, bicycle bearings, your wheel bearings, as they, the, they basically fail eventually by wear. That would be their natural things to wear out. Um, and so as they do, they run rougher and rougher. And when you put a vibration sensor over them, the vibration sensor will all of a sudden, the bearing will start to vibrate and it shakes. And if you put the sensor in the right place, it'll go through the housing and you can pick it up. And so you can monitor the life of the bearing by just having a vibration sensor on it. It's a very simple thing. And a lot of pumps have them, but, but that tells me I'm reaching. And sometimes, you know, they should be replaced Normal maintenance will replace it long before you, you monitor it, but you monitor it just in case something goes wrong. They put in the wrong oil and all of a sudden the bearing wears out faster or the bearing is the wrong material and it's going to wear out faster. Yeah, it's just, or it wasn't heat treated correctly and it wears out faster. All of a sudden your vibration sensor starts screaming at you and you go, wait a minute, it's not maintenance time yet, but you pull the pump anyways. Because if the vibration, if the if the bearing fails, and then the shaft fails, you basically instead of losing a ten dollar component, you could lose a seventy thousand dollar component. So you're monitoring a very cheap piece of equipment in order to save an extremely expensive piece of equipment. It's like you change the oil in your car, right? Really cheap thing to do, 
You do it every 6,000, 15,000, whatever your manual tells you to do. You're trying to save that $50,000 engine is what you're trying to save by doing the $35, by doing the $35 oil change. You know, it's just, it, there's, there's a, it's a simple thing. A lot of people skip it. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people skip it, but the point is you're saving that 50, 60, 70, $80,000 vehicles, what you're saving with that 30, you're all going to change your oil tomorrow. I know you will. I have kind of like a, another level of question. Do the health monitoring systems themselves ever fail? Yeah. You know, I was, that sometimes they, they, they're put on and people just expect them to work and, and, but no one ever goes back and check. And then one of them will go out and it's kind of like, it's recording it over here. And, but no one ever, no one ever looks at it until something goes wrong. You know, it, it's just that thing is, is, is like, um, it's like, okay, you have your quote unquote, you know, the red lights in your car years ago, we used to call them idiot lights. Cause you know, you did something or something wrong people ignore them the red lights go off in their car and people ignore them so you, you either you either either the people that are watching don't see it or they just ignore it because they're too busy doing something else so you know the, they can break down it's like they can have a or they'll short circuit a lot of them are electrical um so they they do have their own issues or they make no sense i've actually been in cases where they bring me the data and it makes no sense whatsoever. I said, you realize this temperature, this is a pump I'm, I'm gonna, and, and it's supposed to be running at 86 degrees Fahrenheit. It says 750. I said, that's not possible. I said, something's wrong. And that's just the way that the health monitoring system is uh, measuring. It, it's just, but, but they saw that it was measuring. So they thought it was okay. No one actually looked at the data to see that the data made any sense at all until something goes wrong. And then they all stand back and go, well, how did this happen? So yeah, sometimes your health monitoring systems have failures too. I failures are all over the place. Failures can be, it's not just broken things. It's processes that don't work right. It's, it's, it's failures are, there's, you know, there, you know, I teach in my classes, you can have things that break. You can have things that just wear out prematurely. You can have process failures. You can have cultural failures within your company, um, which we read about all the time that certain cultures and companies um, um, fail and, and, and the people don't like it there. There are all types of failures and there's reasons why. None of them have those, none of those have anything to do with metallography, mind you, but, but, but you know, types of failures go all over the place. All right, we have time for one more question. Why is metallography good for failure analysis? Is that a good one? That's a good question. You're All right. Joining the dummy panel. <laughs> <laughs> Let me jump in on this because going this is when I look at something and I want to make sure that it was correct. One of the first things that chemical composition is the first thing. Did I put the right things in the cake? But then the microstructure. Is it what it's supposed to be? Once again, in failure analysis, am I, is it what it's supposed to be? Or why is this thing not like the others? If it's a piece of plate, then I know the orientation, I know what the grain structure should look like. And if it doesn't look like that, some, something may be wrong. Maybe, maybe not. Um, if it's a piece of bar stock, if it's a casting, depending on its fabrication method, how it was produced, I know what it should look like. And if I don't know, 
I go get an exemplar piece, one that I know is fabricated correctly. I look at that microstructure and I compare. And that, so that's what I'm looking for. I have to make sure that the microstructure is correct. Um, if I don't know what it is, it's I go there and it's like I have a piece of sheet metal, a very thin piece of sheet metal. And my expectation is it's going to be smushed. The grains are all going to be smushed in one direction, but not in the other. But sometimes people heat treat that and they make all the grains nice and equiaxed, equal in all directions. Well, that will change how that material, the mechanical properties, how it resists corrosion, everything changes when I alter the microstructure. So I'm trying to see, I always have to look to make sure that the microstructure matches what it's supposed to be based on how it was fabricated. That's a very important step in failure analysis. It's it's just square. It's in, if it's not chemical composition would be square one. That would be square one point two, maybe. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Dennis, for joining the podcast, and um, thank you to all the listeners for joining in for this uh, part two of the Metallography for Dummies series. Um, join into the next episode for part three. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. You all were great. If you like this episode, please consider following the Minutes of Metallography podcast. To contact the show with any questions or comments, please email metminutes at gmail.com. Again, that is M-E-T-M-I-N-U-T-E-S at gmail.com. This email is also listed in the show's description. Thank you for listening.